Thank you for joining us here today at Calvary Church, where we are committed to loving God and loving people. If you have any questions or want to learn more about who we are, visit us online at calvary.ca. Now let's check out this week's message. Hello and welcome to episode three of our Relationship Status series. This is where we're looking at important foundational relationships that we may have. And so far, we've looked at our relationship with God, and last week, we looked at marriage. And my task today is to look at our family relationships. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. But before we do that, I want to just introduce you to my family uh, I, I've been married to my wife, Melissa, for eight years. We have three children. Our daughter, Raylan, just turned five last week. Our son, Kyson, is two. And our daughter, Alea, will be two months old in a week. So we have a very young family. So as I start talking about family and the fact that God's plan for family is to raise godly children, I stand here kind of as two different people. On one hand, I am Pastor Brad, who took time to look into Scripture and see what God has to say about family and raising godly children. And then I'm also Dad Brad, who has a young family and needs to hear these things, learn them, take them, and apply them to the raising of my own children. So I'm not giving you things that I'm like, I've done these things and it worked because the jury's still out on that one, right? So as I do this, that's, that's where I stand. And before we dive into our passage today, I just want to give us a few stats to help ground us in the reality of what we face today. And the first statistic is that if you add up all the hours that a parent gets to spend with their children— 75% of those hours are used up by the age of 12. So we have a very short, very important window where we have the most influence over our children's spiritual lives and their development. The second one is, is that over the years, the average amount of time a parent spends with their children has decreased as Busyness has increased. Parents both working because of economic situations. Um, kids being involved in extra programs and different things like sports and music and dance and all of those things. That now parents spend about an average of two hours a day with their kids, which is a significant decrease from other generations. But parents are still the most influential people in their kids' lives, as a church kid will only spend about 40 hours a year in church. So parents still have the biggest impact on their kids' spiritual lives. Well, the question is, how do we make this work? How do we, how do we make use of those little moments that we have? And how do we balance between church being disciplers and parents being disciplers. Well, one more, one quick story before we dive into our passage, and it's, it's that when my son Kyson was diagnosed with diabetes, 
We went to the hospital on a Monday night. We were transferred to Children's Hospital in the middle of the night. And the next afternoon, when everything was stable, we had a nurse come in and start teaching us everything that we needed to know about diabetes. Injections, carb ratios, insulin sensitivity factors, how to count this, how to count that, what to do when they're sick, how to test this, how to test that, all these different things. And we did that all afternoon on the Tuesday, and then all morning on the Wednesday, and all afternoon on the Wednesday, and finally they said, tonight we're going to send you home. You're going to give your son injections, test him this many times in the night, and you'll come back tomorrow and Friday for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and more teaching. And the Friday afternoon, we went home, and there was no nurse with us. They're just like, here's your stuff. You go do, do the diabetes thing. Go teach them. Go give your son injections and go off to the races. But they also said that we're here for you if you need help. Give us a call, send us an email, and we'll help you. And in fact, you're going to send a report in every week to make sure that you're on track. And now, after that first bit, we go to Children's Hospital once every three months and do a checkup. And they, we look at things and we come up with new things we can do with our kids, or with, with Kyson. And as Kyson grows, we have to teach him the stuff that they taught us. And they're going to be there to support him, but the primary responsibility of how to manage diabetes does not fall on the doctors, it falls on myself and Melissa. And it's similar with our children's spiritual lives. The church is here to equip and train and come alongside and help in many different areas to help raise godly children. But ultimately, parents are the ones God has placed in these kids' lives to disciple and lead them into adulthood. So we, we have to come up with ways to deal with this. And with that in mind, we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand and fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." This passage comes at a time in Israel's history when they were about to enter into the promised land. This was the second generation that had been since exile, or since, since not exile, since coming out of Egypt. The first generation was told a lot of these things, rebelled against God, and was told, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Your kids are going to inherit the land. And now Moses is giving them essentially a, a retelling of the covenant of what it means to be faithful to God so that when they enter into the land, they will remain faithful. And a huge part of it is this small passage that is not just about you keeping these commands, it's about teaching them to your children. And we get a, a whole bunch of different commands here. Keep these commands in your heart. That means hold on to them in your will, in your inner life. Recite them. 
that word has worship and corporate worship attached to it, that, that it means kind of coming together as a group and reciting and remembering the things that God has commanded. Talk about them all the time. When you're away, when you're home, when you're waking up, when you're going to bed, just talk about these things. Bind them on your hand and fix them on your forehead. In ancient Hebrew tradition, they would, in fact, tie these words around their wrist and around their forehead. But there's also the reality that in Hebrew, oftentimes the hands are used as a metaphor for actions and deeds. And the forehead is used as a metaphor for our thoughts. So do these things and think about them. Keep them on your mind. And then finally, write them on your doorposts and on your city gates. Now, like I said, city gate, it's not the gate at your house. It's, it's the city gates. And these spaces, the gates and the doorposts, were considered to be kind of these, these sacred spaces that other religions would write various worships and incantations on their doorposts and their city gates. And God is claiming authority over those areas. And this served a couple of things. One, the people of Israel would see these things as they left their home, as they entered their home, as they left their city, as they entered their city. And also, people who were not from Israel or maybe people who were from Israel and were looking for a friendly place, would see these words written on the city gates, written on the doorposts, and they would know that this is a place that is, belongs to God. This is a place where they worship God. So all of these things are all done with the intention of remembering and doing and teaching and, and fostering these things in the next generation so that when they rise up, they will be faithful and they will teach the next generation. What ends up happening, we find out in the book of Joshua, is that they commit to serving God. But then the next generation rises up and the book of Judges starts by saying that generation did not know God. And that tells us one important thing, and that is, the other generation wasn't doing Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. They missed something. They may have served God, but they weren't necessarily teaching their children about God. So that leads us to a question. If parents are the primary influences on their kids' spiritual lives, but it takes a church what can we do? What can we do as parents? What can we do as people who aren't parents to keep our kids in faith? And today I've come up with four things that we can do that come from this passage. And the, the acronym that I've come up with that I hope you can remember is simple. It's keep. How can we keep our kids in faith? And so the first one, and forgive me for this, but the first one is key the gospel is you have to read it in the yoda voice for it to make sense it's a little bit it's a little bit of a strained one but i had to get k in there so instead of saying the gospel is key it's key the gospel is the gospel is the key in ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 comes in a section teaching about family 
The first part, just before this, talks about children obeying their parents. But then we get this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It can be very easy when we're talking about behavior, the things that we should do, the things that we should not do, for us to should our kids to death. We should read the Bible. We should pray. We should go to church. We should not watch that. We should not go to those websites. We should not do this thing. We should not do that thing. We should do this. We should not do that. And we just keep on saying the things that we should or should not do that we forget and we twist the gospel from being something that says, that's something that's about Jesus to twisting it to something that is more about how we, we should do all of these things so that we can earn God's favor and you'll forgive us. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus entered into humanity with the plan to live a perfect, sinless life, not just according to man's law, but according to God's law. He was going to teach he was going to point the way to the Father, and ultimately, he would point us to the fact that going to the Father only comes through Jesus, and the only way that he's able to accomplish our, our reconciliation with God is through his death and resurrection, where on the cross, he bore the punishment for all of our wickedness, all of our sin, all of our wrongdoings, and then he rose to life three days later, proving that he actually had victory over sin and death. And the reality is not you should do all these things to earn God's favor. The reality is we need to believe in the sacrifice, trust in the sacrifice of Jesus, and put him in charge and follow after him. And it's not about what we should or should not do. It's about what we get to do. We get to go to church and worship with a body of believers redeemed in Christ who are working out their salvation with fear and trembling. We get to walk alongside each other and encourage one another and build each other up. We get to sit down and read the Word of God and have the Holy Spirit illuminate the truth and point us to ways to walk in faith. We get to sit down and pray to the Almighty God of the universe and He actually listens to us. We get to live lives that are honoring to Him, life the way that it was originally intended to be lived we don't it's not that we should do those things it's that we get to there's an incredible privilege in being a part of God's family so we need to flip our thinking the gospel is not about what we should do it's about what Jesus did and now what we get to do as his followers and members of his family so the gospel is the key point our kids to Jesus. So the first one is, and forgive me again, key, the gospel is. And that's the last time I need to do that. The second one is educate. Educate our kids. Now in Deuteronomy 6, 7, just to review, recite these things to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when you're away and when you lie down and when you rise. 
This means teaching, teaching these things to our kids. And this is probably where it becomes a little overwhelming. Well, maybe we don't know things as well as we ought to know them. Well, the good news is that the church is here to support us and build, e- build each other up. We're to support each other. There are people here who in small groups or on Sunday morning, where we gather together, we learn these things, and then we go forward and live them out during the week. So as we're together, we learn these things, and then we can turn and teach them to our kids. Just like how I don't know everything about how to treat and care for every aspect of diabetes, but as we go, we're learning and we're teaching our son how to do these things as well. And if I can give one recommendation on how to train kids to live God-honoring lives, it would be to utilize the book of Proverbs as much as you can. Now, this book is a confusing book. It's written in poetry. There's these small little uh, phrases that are in there that can sometimes not make perfect sense to us because they were written to an audience a long time ago in a land far, far away. But if you can read through this and seek to understand it, you'll learn a very important lesson. And that is that the book of Proverbs is not just about becoming wise. The book of Proverbs is about becoming wise so that young people learn to live righteous lives. Another way of saying that would be live God-honoring lives. And I want to read to you just the introduction to the book of Proverbs, starting in Proverbs 1, verse 2. Proverbs is for learning about wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for gaining instruction in wise dealings, righteousness, justice, and equity. And here we go. To teach shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young. It's for the young. Let the wise hear also and gain in learning. And the discerning acquire skill to understand a proverb and a figure. The words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The book of Proverbs is not a unique book, really. Every ancient culture had a book of Proverbs, but the book of Proverbs that we find in the Bible is unique in that it's focused on living righteous lives, not just wise lives, and it's not just for royalty, it's for everyone. So take time to read the book of Proverbs. You'll find in the first several chapters that each chapter is really a a message from mother and father to their children. And so utilize those Come to learn them, and if you need help discovering exactly what they say, talk to some other people about it who can help you with that. So that's something that we can do. But also, we only have a short window every day to do these things, and there's all these other things that we got to do. Help them with homework, cook them dinner, uh, talk about other things, share similar interests, have fun with them, do all these different things that we got to do. It can be hard to fit these things in, but can I just say, seize the moments as they come up. Two weeks ago, Ray and I were going to our big Wednesday meeting. She was going to go to the kids thing. I was going to go and lead the the youth thing. And she said to me, I want to go with you, Daddy. I said, oh, you don't want to go with me. You're going to have so much fun down here with all the rest of the kids. I'm just going to go do boring stuff upstairs. And on the way home, I asked her how her, her stuff was. She said, oh, I had so much fun, Daddy. I had so much fun. And then she said, how was your boring time? And I said, well, I liked it. We talked about the book of Matthew, which is in the Bible. 
And she said, oh, what's that about? So I spent some time explaining to her that Matthew was a follower of Jesus who wrote down the stories about Jesus, about how he taught lots of things, about how he healed people, and about how he ultimately, after all that, ended up being executed, killed, because people didn't like what he had to say, but that what they didn't know was that this was God's plan all along, and that when Jesus died, he took the punishment for all the things that we do wrong, and then he came back to life, proving that he succeeded in saving us. And she said, that doesn't sound boring at all. And the rest of the way home, we were able to have a conversation about what it means to be in a relationship with God. That's what I mean by seizing the opportunity or seizing the moment. But it takes a church. I have here two, two, two books. This is, uh, it's called Little Pilgrim's Big Journey. This is a kid's illustrated version of The Pilgrim's Progress. I also have this really nice-looking Kingdom of God Bible storybook. Now, the reason why I have both of these is that I researched for a while what the best kid's Bible was, and this is the one that came back with the top reviews, the best kid's illustrated Bible, and I thought, I'm going to buy that for my kids, and I'm going to I'm going to read it to them every night, and they're going to learn all these stories, and they're going to be so smart and wise in the Bible, and it's going to be amazing. So finally, the day they arrived, I opened them up, and I said, this is what we're reading before bed tonight. And I sat down, and I opened it, and I started reading, and both Ray and Kyson said, not that book. I want to read about unicorns. And to say I was disappointed is, is maybe an understatement, but... It's been hard to get them to want to sit down and read this book so far. Now, they're young, and we'll work on it. But you know what? Then she went to church on that Sunday, went down to her class, learned about Jesus, and came back to me and explained to me all the things she learned from her teachers. Now, I've worked with youth for a long time. I have young kids, so I'm not quite there yet. But I'm very well aware that there are times when kids just don't quite listen to their parents the way they might listen to someone else. It's the same way that how when I bring in a guest speaker for youth, that's when the youth are on their best behavior. It's like, how did, who, who, who are you people, right? It's because sometimes you need an outside voice. And that's why even if you're not a parent, you can volunteer in kids' church. You can help out in various areas around the church and, and demonstrate to people what it means to be in a relationship with God, to teach them these things. You can do that. We can all do that. So it takes a church. We've got to key in on the gospel. We've got to educate. Number three, we've got to exhibit. We have to exhibit these habits and what it means to be in a relationship with God. Deuteronomy 6, 8, 9, as a reminder, bind these things as a sign on your head and fix them as an emblem on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is a teaching to tell us to live out what we believe. Don't just talk about it, but actually go and do it. Keep it on your mind so that you're going to continue to do it. When I was in acting school, we had a rather well-known Canadian filmmaker come and teach a class for us. And 
in the class, he asked, he said, I want to hear about something from your childhood. And everyone got up and said, when I was this age, seven years old, and my parents, we, we went and we moved across the country or whatever, and they all said something significant that had happened in their childhood. And he kept saying to them, you're not doing what I asked. You're not doing what I asked. You're not doing what I asked. And I was sitting smack in the middle of the, of the circle, about 15 people, directly across from him, and I figured out what he, wanted to, what, what he wanted us to do. He didn't want us to tell him about the time. He wanted us to embody that and, and basically relive that. Essentially, he wanted us to do it, not talk about it, which is an effective way to show our kids what to do. So when I got up, I just relived the moment. Now, we can do all those things, but in this context, it's not necessarily about reliving a moment. It's about seeking to show how you live out your faith in how you talk to your spouse, how you talk to your children, how you talk about people when they're not around, praying, reading the Bible, how, and, and, and demonstrating how a relationship with Jesus impacts not just your Sunday morning, but your day-to-day life. So show, don't tell. Do, don't just talk about it. We got to do both, but you also got to go and do. And the second part here is all about making markers. Back in Israel's day, they were oftentimes instructed to put up these big stones. And every time they were told to do it, it was so that when your kids ask, you can tell them what God did. And even in Deuteronomy 6, after you go through the rest of this, this section ends with, when your kids ask why we do these things, you will talk about what God has done. So when, when our kids ask, why do we go to church? Why do we pray? Why do we read the Bible? Why can't I watch that show? Why can't I do this? Why do we do this? Why can't we do this? When they ask those questions, we need to be ready with a response. A response that's not just because we should do this, but because we get to do this because of what Jesus has done for us. That's why we keep the gospel as the center, as the key to the whole thing. Oftentimes, when we talk about a very well-known passage, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you when someone asks you. That passage, we often refer to having arguments. I I study Christian apologetics. We often talk about the arguments, but it's not just that. We need to be prepared for when our kids ask, and we're not going to sit down and tell them, well, I'm going to give you the fourfold reason for the existence of God. That's not going to help them so much, but we can talk about how Jesus has changed our lives and what we get to do because of that. So make signposts. And even if you're not a parent, you can do this by demonstrating what it means to live a Christian life in your daily life, in church, when you're, if you're working in the parking lot, volunteering in the parking lot, by welcoming people with a smile, by, by praying for people up here if you're prayer, on the prayer team, whatever you do, there are things that we can do to be the people who point our kids to Jesus. So, the gospel is key. We key in on the gospel. We educate our kids. We exhibit what it means to be a follower of Jesus 
in what we do and also in ways that we, we make in their face, in, in their house, in, in our homes, whether that's praying or leaving our Bible out and open to a page or having a verse on our wall, whatever it is, we show them, we make these signposts. And then finally, we pray. And ultimately, this is the thing that every single one of us can do. We pray for our kids. We pray for their spiritual walk. If you're a parent, you pray for your kids every day. If you're not a parent, pray for the kids of this church in general. If you have nieces and nephews or, or family, friends, or whatever it is, pray for those kids specifically. We can also all pray for, for, our, for, for Tessa and, and the leaders down in big time and for the program that they got going on right now that, that they would be, be equipped to teach the kids what they've come to learn Pray for Wyatt and, and the youth leaders and the youth as they're in the youth room right now and on Friday nights. Pray for them. Pray that they would be built up in the Lord. Pray that they would, that they would be able to effectively teach. Pray for the parents of this church that they would seize the moments that they're given to influence their children's spiritual lives to keep our kids in faith. Parents are the primary influencers, but it takes a church coming around, supporting, helping, praying, teaching, equipping, so that we can keep our kids in faith. Keying in on the gospel, educating, exhibiting what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and praying. I want to pray for you. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your amazing love for us. We thank you that you entered into humanity and lived a perfect, sinless life. We thank you that you have given us your word to teach us and guide us. And I pray that each one of us would seek to remember to always keep the gospel central so that we wouldn't get hung up on all the things we should or should not do, but we'd focus on what we get to do. That we would seek to teach our children about you. And we'd seek to live lives that show our children what it means to be in a relationship for you, with you and that we would seek to always remember to pray for the children of this church and, and all children in general. We love you so much in your name. Amen.